Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm so good and so happy that we are back on time this week. I know we said we might not be here on time because we didn't know what Hurricane Dorian was going to do, and thankfully it did not come here towards us, but it did devastate the poor country of Bahamas. I feel so bad for everybody there and our hearts just go out to them, but we did not get affected by Hurricane Dorian really. And so we're really thankful for that. So we're here again this week. And I think that's pretty much my biggest happiness this week is that we did not have to go through a major event like a hurricane. Yeah, for sure. And then also, Mandy, it's our 100th episode. It is our 100th episode. Oh my goodness. And I actually remember... On episode 50, we said, like, this is crazy. It's episode 50. What are we going to do in another 50 episodes? And I remember actually saying, well, I guess we're going to celebrate our 100th episode. So here we are. It is our 100th episode. I'm so excited that we're still here and still making content. And 100 episodes is such a milestone. And yeah, I'm so excited about it. I really am. And we have celebrity guests this week. We have special segments. We have, just kidding. We have nothing. <laughs> it's just a regular episode. We can never plan that far ahead, but we are thankful. Thank you so much for listening for 100 episodes. And if you listen to those first ones, whew, you are a trooper and clearly do not value what comes into your ear holes at certain right. times. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm super excited to have 100 episodes under our belt. We've been doing this over two years now and... I love doing the show. I love all of our listeners. We have like the best group of listeners ever. We have the best Facebook group. I don't care what anybody else says. Our people are the best. So thank you guys so much for listening. And kind of on that note, I did want to say we've been getting a lot of comments lately as the show has kind of changed a little bit over the last couple of years that some people are not too happy with the ads. And I know that we have mentioned this before in the show. We're going to mention it just one more time. I know we're really sorry about that we have to do ads, but kind of just is how it is. Um, it keeps the lights on. Yeah. And we, we do try to pick sponsors that we think you guys will resonate with and that you guys will like and enjoy and that you'll benefit from. And Melissa and I share the duty now of writing the ads. And so we try to make them at least a little bit entertaining. But if you really, really don't like the ads, there is another option. You can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. And we do have the episodes going up early on Sundays, and then also with no ads in them. And you can get that at the $5 level. So we don't really push our Patreon a lot. But if you want to join Patreon, and for $5 a month, you can get the show for ad free. And we are off next week, September the 17th, but we will be back on September the 24th. So enjoy the break from us. We hit 100 episodes and we say peace out and then we'll come back. Yeah, we will. We will definitely come back. So getting right into this week's episode, the story this week comes from San Leandro, California. And of course, we have Googled this city. So Melissa, take it away. San Leandro is part of California's Bay Area and is located in Alameda County. And as of the 2010 census, has around 84,000 residents. San Leandro is known for its huge cherry farms, and it's one of the oldest cities in California. But I actually had a little bit of a hard time finding more information, which apparently I do every week because apparently we just nobody dies in New York City at all. And we just are (laughs) all over the country. So I ended up going a little bit out into Alameda County. Alameda is the title of my all time favorite band's Lifehouse, their 12th album. And that fact is literally only 
for me. Nobody else cares about that. But <laughs> I was so excited. I was like, Alameda, I totally know this. So in 1905, an 11-year-old named Frank Epperson was a resident of the Alameda area. And legend has it that young Frank had a cup of sugary soda powder and water mixed up together with a little wooden stirrer. And allegedly, he left it outside on a cold night and it froze. In the morning, he woke up with a delicious frozen and sugary treat on a stick, thus creating what he called the Epsicle. Frank started out by selling them in his neighborhood and later applied for a patent for his invention. Before filing it, his kids actually convinced him to call it the Popsicle. Popsicle. Wow. Super cool, right? Yeah. But there's like some like confusing information there that some people are like, well, it never gets cold enough there that it would have frozen. So this guy's a liar. I don't know if it's true. This is a legend has it sort of thing. But I do know that Alameda is home to the Spite House. And what is a Spite House, you may be asking? Well, it's really pretty much what it sounds like. About 100 years ago, a man named Charles Froling was a resident of Alameda. The city took over his piece of land to use for a new street in town, and Charles was salty, and he was just not having it. So he used the little bit of space he had, and he built the Spite House. It was 20 feet high, 54 feet long, and 10 foot wide. <laughs> and it's still standing today. And it's the craziest looking thing. You see all these big, like bigger houses and you just see this teeny tiny little, you know, thin, thin house. And he was just, I love that. Like, he's like, fine, that's all the property I have. Watch what I'll do with this. Sounds like something you would do, Mandy. <laughs> Are you saying I'm salty? <laughs> I think we all know that this to be the case. So, <laughs> so the speed limit for this 23 mile beachside town is actually only 25 miles an hour. And I really struggled for a way to close this this week, but I thought, what are some good reasons Melissa and Mandy would drive over the speed limit in Alameda? <laughs> so why would we ever go over 25 miles an hour? Which would actually kill me if I had to be speeding. But <laughs> So I couldn't even come up with a top five. But here's the top four reasons Melissa and Mandy would speed in Alameda. Number four, Melissa heard that there was an office marathon on the other side of the island and they were serving unlimited Diet Coke, lemon heads, and zero judgment. <laughs> Number three, and I'm also talking about myself in third person this entire time. Number three, Mandy found a restaurant that serves meat pies. The problem <laughs> is it's opening day and actually closing day, so she had to get there quickly because no one's going to be able to keep a meat pie restaurant open. Sorry, Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> Number two reason Melissa and Mandy would have to speed across this island is that Mandy was told there would be free chickens on the other side of the island. <laughs> you know I'm going to get there quick. <laughs> but the number one reason that we would speed across Alameda Island together separately, in this case separately, is Melissa was told there would be fried chicken on the other side of the island. Oh, <laughs> no. And that's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely speeding in separate vehicles at this point. <laughs> Okay, so in today's story, there are really a lot of players and a lot of different characters going on. So in addition to the victims of this crime, we are going to spend a little more time than we usually do on the murderer because his background is actually really, really important to the story. Jean Hillary was a 56-year-old grandmother of four and had recently been promoted to a compliance officer for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Jean was the type of person that gave herself, her time, and her talents to her family and to her community. She was the type of person that always wanted to contribute something to those around her. She devoted her early years to raising her three daughters and used her skills as a master swimmer to devote some of her spare time to volunteer to teach swimming and water skills to kids at the neighborhood pool. 
It was this love of service and contribution that made Jean love her job as a meat inspector. It was her way of contributing to the people of California, making sure that the meat that went out to the people was safe to consume. She would visit meat packaging plants and grocery stores to make sure all practices of producing and packaging meat were in compliance with the USDA guidelines. According to her daughter, in an interview with the San Francisco Examiner, she took this job very seriously. She was actually a stickler for the rules in all aspects of her life, and she did not believe in shortcuts, and she really believed in hard work and perseverance as a way to get the job done. Jean earned her undergraduate degree through the University of Phoenix later in life after she had raised her three daughters to adulthood. Right after finishing her degree, she worked for the Navy as a civilian and then took a low-level job with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, where she worked her way up over time to her job as a compliance officer. Jean was the only female meat inspector in Alameda County, and at the time, which was late 90s to early 2000s, she felt that she had to work very hard in order to prove herself and did not want to show any weakness or fear on the job so that these factories owners would really respect her. She took her job very, very seriously, and she wanted to follow the letter of the law to protect food consumers of California. Co-workers of Jean described her as fearless and said that she would really go into any store or factory with confidence, and she was never wary of anything or anyone that she would encounter. On June 21st, 2000, Jean, along with her fellow inspectors Thomas Quadros, Bill Shailene, and Earl Willis, made a repeat visit to the Santos Linguisa Sausage Factory. She had actually been on several calls to this particular sausage factory before because the contentious owner was notoriously difficult to deal with and refused to comply with regulations simply because he just did not like people telling him what to do, and especially when it came to his business. Stuart Alexander was a fourth-generation sausage maker specializing in the traditional Portuguese linguiça sausage. Stuart's great-aunt, Pia Santos, and her husband, Antonio, immigrated from Portugal around the early 1920s. Armed with her family's linguiça sausage recipe, she set out to make a living, and she began making linguiça sausages in their basement and selling them at farmer's markets in Oakland, California. Pia eventually tweaked the traditional linguiça sausage recipe, which is a type of smoked sausage that is heavily flavored with garlic and used primarily in Portugal in a traditional soup called caldo verde. But in America, we use it as a popular breakfast sausage. It's really popular in Hawaii, although I know some Hawaiians would say it's not spam. And to that I say, it is sure not spam. Sausage is not spam. No, no. No. Spam is in a can. That's all I know about spam. It's in a can. And that's where you lose me every time on spam. If you put meat in a can, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. If you set breakfast sausage and spam in front of me and tell me to choose one, I'm definitely choosing the sausage. (laughs) We do not mean to be spam haters. I really should try it. I've never actually tried it. If we ever do another video, we should try spam. (laughs) That should totally be something we do. We should totally try spam on video. Great. In the late 1920s, an empty lot next door to the Santos home became available, and they bought it and started the Santos Linguisa Sausage Factory. Business really boomed for the Santoses, and Pia's sausages were arguably the very best in the Bay Area. The sausage factory was truly a family business, employing many family members throughout the years. Eventually, Stewart's father, named Herman Tweedy Alexander, took over the business and ran it for many, many years. 
He was a very well-respected and very well-liked member of the San Leandro community. Throughout the many years of running the factory, he continued his Aunt Pia's great legacy of making the best linguisa sausage in the Bay Area, if not the country. Even the meat inspectors liked Tweety. He went out of his way to make sure his factory complied with all regulations and never received a single infraction on his inspections. Tweety's son, Stefan, was being groomed from an early age to inherit the business. He was really the golden child. He was good-looking and charismatic and a really hard worker. Unfortunately, tragedy struck when Stefan was killed in a car accident at only 18 years old. Tweety's second son, Stuart, would have to take over. His father was reluctant to teach him how to take over the family business. Stuart was actually the complete opposite of Stefan. He was difficult, demanding, lazy, and did not like authority in any aspect of his life. Tweety and Stuart had a very contentious relationship. Stuart was a troublemaker and a hothead, and he got into many fights as a kid. Stuart's mother, named Shirley, had divorced his father when he was around 10, and Tweety had Stuart on the weekends and during summers. Tweety had no faith in Stuart when it came to running the business, often telling him that he would never amount to anything. Tweety was both verbally and physically abusive to Stuart, and the more Stuart seemed to reject authority, the harder his father was on him. During the weekends and summers when he was with him, his father was very demanding when it came to teaching Stuart all about the family business. He had a lot of deep-seated rage stemming from his parents' divorce and the tumultuous childhood he had that would continue to plague him throughout his life. He was often very violent with others, getting into many fights throughout the years, and he had a notoriously short fuse. In 1996, he was charged with beating an elderly neighbor following an argument. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, not somebody you really want running. Running things, especially this family business that like came up from nothing, has this really great reputation in the community. Yeah, and then this is the guy you're giving it to. That that feels very dangerous. So a nearby business owner named Richard Miller was very aware of his reputation, and he ended up testifying in court. He was the type of guy that would flip an illegal U-turn in front of a cop, basically daring them to come after him, and would laugh in the face of authority and was very antagonistic. Despite his reputation as a hothead, he was still a very well-respected community member and businessman following his father's death in 1993. All this time, the factory had maintained its high standards of compliance with USDA regulations. However, after Tweedy's death, Stewart was in charge completely, and he began to refer to himself as the Sausage King, and that's really when trouble began. And we will get right back into this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. finally September, which means that we are officially on the countdown to my favorite season of the year, fall. Although we still have to put up with scorching temperatures and a blanket of humidity for a little bit longer, I've started to get into the autumn spirit thanks to my FabFitFun fall box. FabFitFun is a women's lifestyle subscription box filled with full-size premium beauty, lifestyle, fitness, home, and wellness products sent right to your door every season. And the 2019 FabFitFun box is on sale now. You guys know that I'm a huge fan of sweater weather, and I'm dying to be able to wear my favorite cardigans again. One thing I received in the FabFitFun box was a beautiful, plush, ultra-soft fringe scarf that I'm already mentally pairing with other items in my fall wardrobe. This luxury scarf is valued at $75, which means that by itself, it more than pays for the cost of the entire box. But that's the amazing thing about FabFitFun. Each box retails for $49.99, but always has a value of over $200. Some items will be in everyone's box, but you can also customize your box with other items that specifically appeal to your needs. I've mentioned before that I am obsessed with trying new hair products, specifically those that tame frizz. 
That's why I was so excited to receive the Aveda Damage Remedy Daily Hair Repair Cream in my FabFitFun Fall Box. I use it after every wash and I've seen a noticeable difference in the health of my hair. You definitely don't want to miss out on all the things that FabFitFun has to offer. These boxes sell out fast, so sign up for yours today. Use coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. That's coupon code MOMS for $10 off your first box at FabFitFun.com. Anyone who suffers with migraines know that they are a draining and debilitating experience. When a migraine sets in, it can make even simple tasks seem impossible, and every noise or flash of light feels like it might just be your last. Luckily, Cove makes it easier to treat your migraines from home without waiting for a doctor's appointment or paying expensive copays. Your treatment with Cove begins with a simple consultation from the comfort of your own home. A doctor who is licensed to practice medicine in your state will review your symptoms and determine the best course of treatment for you, and then your personalized supply of FDA-approved medication is delivered to your door. Cove knows that migraines are personal, and that's why each treatment plan also is. I've suffered from migraines a lot and have been so thankful that I now have Cove. One of my favorite things about Cove is that they offer education on the symptoms of migraines, what may have caused them, and other frequently asked questions. So I have a better understanding of what triggers my migraines and what I can do to reduce the severity and the frequency of them. I also loved that Cove reached out to me through their patient portal to check on my progress a few weeks after I began treatment. Cove also makes it easy for anyone to get treatment for their migraines because there is no medical insurance necessary to get your prescription. If you suffer from migraine headaches, the last thing you need is to wait to see a doctor. With Cove, there's finally a way to get the help you need when you need it. For a limited time, get your first month of medication free. Visit WITHCOVE.com slash moms and murder. That's withcove.com slash moms and murder to get your first month of medication for free. And now back to the episode. So over the next seven years, Stewart would really be butting heads with all the different meat inspectors that would come into his factory. He viewed their inspections as malicious harassment, even though they were really just there doing their jobs. His girlfriend at the time, who was named Eve Elder, testified in court that in 1998, she and Stewart wrote a series of short stories together about his harassment at the hands of meat inspectors. And one of them was titled, quote, Sausage Sniffers Get Sauced. The illustrations that accompanied the story depicted the inspectors drowning in a vat that was labeled secret sauce. This sounds like a very interesting pastime to write these kind of stories with your boyfriend. Yeah, it's like the weirdest fan fiction I've ever heard of. Yeah, right? So Stuart would also feel so threatened that he began keeping several firearms in his office and another girlfriend named Charlotte Knapp actually corroborated all of this as well. Things really did not even have to be this way. If Stewart would have just complied with the state and federal regulations and their inspections, he would not have had to be visited so frequently or he wouldn't really have any reason to be just really as uptight as he was towards them. It was his attitude of not wanting to be told how to run his business that kept him from upholding an 80-year family legacy. As we said before, this family had built this company from the ground up and they had such a great reputation. And then this guy comes in and he's kind of really just dragging his own family's name through the mud with the way that he's running yeah. the business. So he was issued several warnings. He had he was fined numerous times, but he kept operating the business as usual he was very difficult to deal with, and based on a long history of no problems under the ownership of his father, I think some of the inspectors probably just let him slide so that 
you know, they just didn't have to deal with him. Which is also a little frightening if you think yeah. about it, that they're like, mm, I hope the meat's okay. I, I don't I don't think they probably actually did that, but I could see where some like very small, minute things that aren't that are more clerical rather than right. the temperature of the meat, <laughs> where you would right. say, like, I'm not dealing with that guy again and you'd let that go. But that's scary too. I mean, the whole thing is yeah. scary that somebody's that intimidating that people don't even feel like they can do their jobs. Right. Terrifying. So that was all before Jean came into the picture. And of course, we said in the beginning that she was a stickler for the rules and she did not believe in taking shortcuts. So she really was not somebody who was about to let Stuart slide on anything at all. She actually found out that he was undercooking the sausages. So like you said, like the temperature of the meat is a very important thing whenever you're running a sausage factory. So she found out that he was undercooking the sausages and he was actually smoking them at four degrees under what was the safe determined level by the USDA. And she found out that his smokers were also antiquated and they were out of date and they needed to be replaced. But of course, these are expensive things. This is going to cost Stuart money that he does not want to he doesn't want to pay. So he was plummeting the historically profitable business really farther and farther into debt. And because of these infractions, the USDA eventually shut down his factory. He then started taking out more and more bank loans to keep the factory open. And even though he was still in violation, he was actually taking USDA inspection stickers and placing them on his products himself fraudulently instead of just taking out a loan to upgrade his smokers and get his equipment up with USDA regulations. He was choosing to just forge the whole operation and putting stickers on his products that really, they weren't actually approved by the FDA. So like you said, this is terrifying. Totally terrifying. If you pick up a package of meat in the U.S., you see the USDA certified. But I didn't know you could just put that sticker on there yourself. No, I didn't realize that they actually, well, I mean... I guess that makes sense, but... It does. They must go around and, like, if they approve of your factory, they probably give you a roll of stickers and (laughs) then you put them on your meat. So I guess he must have had some leftover. I don't really know how he pulled this off, but I'm assuming he just had stickers laying around that were the ones that say USDA approved. And so he was just putting them on his meat, even though his factory was not USDA approved at this time. I guarantee anyone that works in a meatpacking facility right now is like so angry at us that we're just like, <laughs> they just take their roll from, you know, their kid's backpack and they just put the little stickers on and go on Amazon and order more. We know that it's got to be more complicated than that, but it's crazy to think he was able to just do this and did not care. Yeah, super crazy. But in his eyes, These inspections that he was undergoing regularly at this point were what he called mockingly harassing. I don't know why he felt this way, but that's what he said. So he saved every single email that he believed allegedly showed this mockingly harassing behavior. But when Gene ordered the factory to be shut down, Stewart replied by placing a notice on the door that read, quote, To all our great customers, the USDA is coming into our plant, harassing my employees and me, making it impossible to make great product. Gee, if all our meat plants could be in business for 79 years without one complaint, the meat inspectors would not have jobs. Basically mocking them and saying, the only reason you're coming here is just, you know. So you have a job. Yeah, because you have to. There's nothing wrong with my factory. Basically saying that they are making things up just so that they can do their job or keep their job, I guess. 
If I read this sign, I would have nothing to do with this business again. I do not like when people cannot be professional in their signage. It really upsets me. No, I agree. It's so snarky. And I like good snark, but like I'm also not going to patronize your business. Right? I know that it does seem like a little like, let's respect that job. Like, let's let's really look into this and not not just throw words on a page. And Because I'm going to side with the USDA every time. Yeah. Me too, for sure, because I want that. I want that seal of approval on my meat. <laughs> I wanted it a lot more before I knew that there was just stickers lying around in my brain that they're yeah. just pulling them. Again, we don't really think that's what it is. It's worth reiterating at this point that the plant never had one violation until Stuart Alexander crowned himself the Sausage King and took over in 1993. Back to June 21st, 2000, when Gene Hillary, Thomas Quadros, Bill Shaling, and Earl Willis made a repeat visit to the Sausage Factory. They were well aware of the environment they were about to walk into. So aware, in fact, that they actually called the police to come during their inspection as backup. That's pretty serious if they know we are dealing with such a hothead that we need the police to be here while we talk to you about your business. The police, however, would never arrive for this request. The dispatcher had routed it as a routine call and it was really considered low priority, which you can understand why that would be low priority. You're saying... We're the USDA. We have to give somebody bad news. Send the police. I can see how they would just be like, okay, you know, we've got other things going on, you know, in in the world. So during the initial inspection, Alexander was not on the premises. He was actually out making a delivery. The inspectors observed in the retail section of the factory that there were freshly packed linguisa sausage that was fraudulently marked with a USDA approved sticker. The plant had not met federal or state standards to legally produce sausage. So as the inspectors were preparing to leave, Alexander pulls up in a company pickup truck, and Earl Willis said he then saw Alexander, waved at him, and Alexander did not wave back. Initially, Hillary, Shailene, and Willis went back inside the factory to talk to Alexander. Thomas Quadro stayed outside to wait for the police. Quadro, Shailene, and Willis were all veteran inspectors and they felt really uneasy about entering the premises without the police with them. And of course, this is a very contentious situation. If Even if you're on the right side of the law with this, if they're shutting down your factory, that's jobs that are lost. I assume that's sausage that's going to go to waste. There's a lot, of, a lot of money at stake and a lot of people's lives that are affected. So with her fearless resolve, Jean Hillary insisted they proceed needing to document the situation. According to Willis's testimony, as reported by the East Bay Times, Alexander came storming out of his office, taking pictures of all three inspectors and berating Jean Hillary directly, just inches from her face. When the inspectors refused to leave, he stormed back to his office. At this point, Quadros was still waiting for the police, and Willis came outside. Quadros offered to switch places with him, and he then went inside and left Willis outside to wait for the police. After numerous harassing inspections, Alexander installed surveillance cameras in every room of his factory, hoping to catch any overstepping of the inspectors at any time during their visits. Alexander returned a few minutes later, cool, calm, and collected. Without a word, he pulled out the gun he kept in his desk drawer and shot all three of the inspectors point blank. After hearing the gunshots inside the factory, Earl Willis began running down the street, and soon Alexander was actually running after him, shooting and screaming, quote, I'm going to get you. Willis, in his own words, ran like a track star, and he said it was Michael Johnson style down the street. He said that he pulled his hamstring, but he was able to take shelter in a bank where the employees in the bank called the police to report this incident. 
In fact, Earl Willis was not even supposed to be at work that day. He actually had an argument with his wife that morning because he had been called into work and that argument kept running through his mind and he regretted that he had left her on a sour note. The factory surveillance cameras had caught these senseless murders and at one point in the video, you can see Jean Hillary moving her arm. Stewart returned to the factory and shot all three of the inspectors once more in the head and then went outside and sat down where he then waited for the police. Stewart was arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder. This would eventually qualify him for the death penalty, but we're going to talk about a lot more of this case after one last break for a word from this week's sponsors. Now that the new school year is officially in full swing, I'm finding it harder and harder to make time for meal planning and wanting to default to the same handful of meals we always eat. That's why I'm so thankful that I have HelloFresh to spice up our menu and bring delicious meals to our table in about 30 minutes, thanks to the step-by-step recipe and pre-measured ingredients that I didn't even have to go to a store to buy. With HelloFresh, I know we will never get bored because there are 20-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week, and because HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, you know that what you get is always going to be a hit. My last HelloFresh box came with one of my most favorite recipes, creamy dill chicken with potatoes and green beans. I can't even accurately explain how heavenly this creamy dill sauce is, but let's just say that I may or may not have eaten the leftover sauce straight out of the pan with a spoon. My favorite thing about HelloFresh is that it's flexible and I have the option to customize my meals based on my family's preferences. I can add extra meals to my weekly order, change my delivery days, or skip a week if I need to, which really is convenient for me right now since I have a lot of travel planned in the next few months, and I definitely don't want my delicious HelloFresh meals to go to waste. Say goodbye to those pesky trips to the grocery store and takeout food. HelloFresh has you covered with delicious home-cooked meals made easy. For $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com momsandmurder80 and enter momsandmurder80. Again, for $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com momsandmurder80 and enter momsandmurder80. Oh, September, we have been waiting for you. It's almost time to say goodbye to summer and hello to fall, and with the fall season comes cold and flu season. Give yourself a boost this year with Care Of, a vitamin and supplement subscription service that is customized to your specific needs, whether you're looking for energy, better sleep, to maintain stress, or something else to feel your healthiest. It can be really hard to know what vitamins or supplements you should be taking, but Care Of makes it easy to find out what you specifically need to be your healthiest. It starts with a fun online quiz that I really loved and it's just so easy. All you need to do is answer easy questions like how much sleep you're getting or if you're looking for something to support weight management. It gets really personalized. I have a family history of cardiac issues, so taking care of my heart is something I've been concerned with myself for years. Care-of told me that I would benefit from taking fish oil as part of my heart health routine and included that in my daily vitamin pack, which comes individually wrapped in the most adorable little packet with my name on it, as well as a fun quote or fact to start the day. Care-of makes sure that what you're putting into your body comes from the best sources backed by honest guidance and transparency, all available to you on their website. Vegan and vegetarian supplement options are also available to match your dietary needs and to ensure that you're getting the nutrients you need for those specific diets. Care Of delivers daily vitamin and supplement packs, all customized to your recommendations so you're only taking what you really need. Experience the Care Of difference. For 25% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter MOMS. Again, for 25% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter MOMS. 
now back to the episode. Alexander's lawyer, Michael Ogle, would tell the LA Times that there was no doubt that he, quote, pulled the trigger, he killed those people. Stuart Alexander is at fault. What the defense would be tasked with was keeping his client off of death row. All they could really do is try to prove a case of insanity or get the charges reduced to second-degree murder to avoid the death penalty. The prosecution, though, would not be making any deals. They were pursuing the death penalty. The initial proceedings of this trial would take four years of what prosecutor John Leitner would call, quote, methodical determination to avenge the first federal and state agriculture agents to be killed in the line of duty. According to a USC law professor, Michael Brennan, who was also interviewed for the LA Times, quote, even when evidence against a defendant is overwhelming, the death penalty issue can make it drag on months or even years longer than a non-capital case. And you even hear that with families that talk about going for the death penalty and people who have killed family members versus life in prison and how much more it is really on them to go through that process because it's a much longer process. Everything is like 50 more steps. So you can see why this case itself would take so much longer, even though there's so much evidence. There's video evidence that this guy did this. There's, you know, witnesses, there's all kinds of stuff. And it's still going to take so much longer because it's a death penalty case. Stuart Alexander's trial began on May 2nd, 2004. The trial was really big news until it was completely overshadowed in the press by another high profile case that started just a month later, two hours away in San Mateo County. The trial of Scott Peterson for the murder of his wife, Lacey, and their unborn son, Connor, caused public interest in the sausage murders case to kind of disappear. This was, of course, extremely disappointing to the family members. Despite low public interest in the case, the trial proceeded with the defense trying to attribute Stewart's actions to severe mental illness brought on by a childhood of abuse and repeated head injuries that interfered with his ability to make rational decisions. Psychologist Dale Watson testified at the trial that he ran a myriad of tests on Stewart and found that he had, quote, moderate brain impairment that would have affected his ability to act rationally. He introduced scans at the trial that showed that his impairment was due to a series of falls and accidents in his youth and as his time as an amateur boxer. His own mother actually testified that her son was very ill and said that he suffered more than five concussions in his youth. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's so many. The defense went on to say that the frequent antagonistic inspections caused him to snap. Prosecutors Leitner and Paul Hora dismissed the brain damage defense entirely. In addition to surveillance footage and the stories written by Alexander and his former girlfriend, Eve Elder, they presented a series of emails where Alexander actually discussed his desire to kill the state and federal agents, repeatedly calling them, quote, government slime balls. One email in particular presented by the prosecution, Stuart Alexander wrote that he, quote, almost took out his machine gun and blasted those four losers, but I kept my cool as always because a smart dog always attacks from the rear. It is pretty remarkable that they could even really try and go for like not premeditated because he's there's just documents everywhere. He's literally yeah. written stories about this. There's emails like it's not a hearsay kind of thing. Oh, no. So much proof that he was sharing with people. Right. He literally has like fantasized about this entire scenario where he can get revenge on these USDA inspectors that are 
that he perceives are bothering him and harassing him. It's it's all documented very well in this case. So in the prosecution's opinion, Alexander is an individual who decided to solve his problems by killing people. On October 19th, 2004, Stuart Alexander was convicted on three counts of first-degree murder. Again, this was overshadowed by Scott Peterson's conviction just one month later on November 12th, 2004. On February 15th, 2005, a jury sentenced Stuart Alexander to die by lethal injection. He actually would end up dying in his cell less than a year later on December 27th, 2005 of a pulmonary embolism. This was really a historic case in its own right, being the first state and federal inspectors to die in the line of duty. So this case really opened up a discussion on how to better protect USDA inspectors. During a memorial service for Gene Hillary, Thomas Quadros, and Bill Shaling, the LA Times reported that U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman vowed to take steps to protect health inspectors in the field. Jean Hillary was remembered as a loving mother and grandmother, a loyal friend who worked hard for everything she had and took pride in the work that she did. Thomas Quadros was remembered as a loving father who would volunteer his time in his community. Bill Shaleen was celebrated for his commitment to his job, his outstanding service record, and through his work, he showed compassion for his fellow Californians to ensure a safe food supply for them. Mary Jane actually helped us with this case this week, and she did a lot of the research and looking into it, and I did a little bit after the fact, but we really couldn't find a ton of information about the three victims in this case. Their obituaries were even very brief, and they really did not give a lot of information, but it was clear from what we could find that these three people that were killed were very good and dedicated people that did the jobs they, they were set out to do, and they really were concerned about the health and safety of the people that they were serving. So that was our episode this week on the Sausage Factory murders. This was a really interesting story to learn about. Thank you so much, Mary Jane, for helping us with this one. You did such a good job. Very interesting story. Very sad. But it is. I think it was just a bizarre case. It's just not something you would expect to hear. It's kind of shocking to hear about USDA inspectors going to inspect a sausage factory and losing their lives that day. It's very sad. Thank you so much, Mary Jane, for your help with this episode. And as Mandy said before, we are off next week on September the 17th, back on September 24th. Also, just a reminder, we have our live show coming up in Hoover, Alabama, and that is going to be on September 22nd. We'll have all the information in our show notes on where you can find tickets. There's still a few tickets left. Please come and see us. That's going to be so fun. We're doing it with our friends from Corpus Delicti. And also, we are going to be doing a Charleston meetup. Here's the thing. Mandy will not be there. It's going to be a Southern podcast, true crime thing like we did in Atlanta. I'll be there because my mom and family are going to be there. Mandy won't be there. I won't be there. And I really am sad about it because I really love an opportunity to travel and especially to meet listeners and to mingle with other podcasters. So I am actually super bummed that I won't be there. I've just been doing so much traveling and that Charleston meetup is planned for just a few days after I get back from attending the CrimeCon event that's going to be in Seattle in October. So I kind of took pity on my family and said, you know what, I'm traveling so much. I feel really bad to leave you again. I'm just, I'm just going to have to miss out. I feel really bad, but Melissa will be there and everyone knows that she is the 
better half of the show. Whoa, so wait, you hold guys on. can go see her. The inflection you used there <laughs> was like a compliment, but then you used it in a sarcastic tone. So then it, No, 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 no. Not a, not even sarcastic at all. She's uh, not sarcastic at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Melissa is actually the better half of the show. So if you want to go and meet her, everyone does. And you can talk about reality TV and have a Diet Coke with her and talk about me. I mean, in a nice way. No, actually. Talk about how you wish I was there. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So there will be other shows there too. Southern Fried True Crime, Trace Evidence, uh, Pretend, and I'm, I know there's other ones, but I'm doing this off the top of my head. So it's going to be really fun. Pleasing Terrors. Oh yes, Pleasing Terrors. My bad. Um, this is why I can't do lists. I will always forget people. And, Trace Evidence. Oh my gosh. I, I said him. I said him. So yeah, okay. basically it's just going to be me trying to sleep tonight and just remembering people that I'm going to say, could I go back and add that in editing? I don't know. So anyway, it's going to be a lot of people. Um, Mandy won't be there, which is very, very sad. I will hug you in her place. This is going to be so weird. Yes. I'll hug you. Please give Melissa a hug for me. She will love that. Yes. No, it's fine. I'm happy to hug people. Whatever. Just stay out of my chestal region. And that's all I ask from people during hugs. (laughs) Okay. And the other thing we're doing is last thing before we go. We are going to do that really quick. So this is – what is going on with us? We just keep coming up with different ideas, but yet really not a pattern. So this week, actually just a couple days ago, I get a notification on my phone that I have bought Madden something for $80 on Xbox. And I thought, huh, that definitely didn't happen. $80. (laughs) Immediately after I get one that said, you bought X-Men the movie for $20, I'm like, okay, something's gone wrong. Immediately know it's my son who thought he was buying an Xbox. So that's what he thought he was doing is buying Xbox. He bought (laughs) X-Men. Like, so much cheaper. So I went on our Facebook group and said, hey, has this happened to anybody? Yes, I should have had a password on my Xbox account. But guess what? It's too many freaking letters and they want me to remember it and I can never remember it. My kids want me to do stuff for free things. Don't make me do this. So anyway, uh, they are nice enough to refund me and uh, the same morning that I got the refund email, my son bought the same game again. He bought Madden again, eighty more dollars, and they have not given me any pity to take it off of me. And at this oh, point, no. yeah, I'm like, <laughs> how did I not put a password? So at this point, it's on me. Oh my gosh! Well, my favorite thing is when that happens. Okay, so I have a friend, Leah. She actually admins our or mods our Facebook group too. But this happened to her once, and she like wrote them to say this was an accident. Yeah. It was my son. And, and they like wrote her back and said like, please like send us a picture of proof what? or something. And like, yeah. And like, she's like, what do you want me to send you a picture of? You know, like there's, there's no picture like for proof that this happened. Like I'll send you a picture of my kid. Like, you know, send a picture but, of somebody um, else's kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, this stuff happens. Your kids buy stuff accidentally, but I feel like it is way too easy for this to happen i feel like it happens to me all the time on on like even if they're just using the tv anymore they can just get access to buying something on amazon video or whatever and just takes like one click and so i mean now we have it set up with pin words and everything but i swear i still get emails on my phone that say i just bought something and i know that i didn't i know my kids insist that they didn't and i'm just too lazy to like dig super deep into it so i haven't it hasn't it hasn't been anything like eighty dollars you know so i haven't really dug too much into it but i think my kids are still able to do things 
without my knowledge. I 100% think that they are. <laughs> but I we had a password, but I guess my son must have figured it out because it was just all up. And so he just must have seen us doing it and we were so irritated. So anyway, I now have a password on there that's not all up, but we still, Microsoft has not <laughs> written me back and said like, hey, idiot, we'll refund your other $80. So I'm probably gonna have to eat that one. Anyway, so then I asked people in the Facebook group, hey, what kind of things has happened? Like what similar things have happened to you? Because you know, like Mandy was saying, there's going to be a million of these stories. Here are some of my favorites. Emily C. in our Facebook group said she recently had to contact Voodoo after her three-year-old daughter somehow ordered a bunch of Stephen King movies. (laughs) (laughs) I love how specific that is. Like that kid, a three-year-old is really into Stephen King. One time, this is from Samantha R. on Amazon One Click, her son once bought Eight hundred dollars worth of fishing gear. Eight hundred dollars. <laughs> Thinking it was being added to the wish list, but my favorite part is she said, "Who needs six of the same tackle box?" So he was. Just- oh, he just clicked it so many times. He was like, "I don't need one. I might lose it. What about two? No, I'm going to go for eight. Let's go ahead and do it or six. I love that. Why thing. isn't this showing up in the wish list? I know. Yeah. So I can't imagine getting that notification. Disa in our Facebook group said, my son ordered $50 in Angry Birds stuffed animals whenever he was three. And I still to this day do not know how that happened. (laughs) That's the best. And then, okay, I'll go through these really fast. Amanda said, my daughter bought three copies of the My Little Pony movie on Vudu. The SD, the HD, and they had a hard copy sent to them, which I love. (laughs) She was like, I will get my My Little Pony. It's going to happen. So good. Lots of Fortnite stuff. Lots of people have gotten screwed in Fortnite, like hundreds of dollars. That's me. That's me. I well, and I haven't even gotten like screwed illegitimately. I have gotten screwed by actually letting my child purchase like little things here and there. I just like the other day because my son is always like, "Mom, can I get?" I guess they're called V bucks yeah, yeah. or something mm-hmm. like that. Maybe it's something completely different. But every now and then, I will be like, "Okay, sure, you can like do like a five or ten dollar one or whatever." But the other day, I actually got like. You guys know, as moms, at some point, you just get tired and over it. And so, like, I was having a bad day, and, like, my son asked me if he could buy, like, I don't know, a $10 V-Bucks thing, and I almost lost my mind. Like, I was like, I was like, really? I have bought so much V-Bucks, like, over the last, like, six months. Like, I could have taken us all on a vacation by this point, like, with the amount of money I've spent on this stupid game. And it really infuriates me because that's how they get you, okay? It's just little increments here and there, and then you don't even realize that you have spent, like, seven or $800, like, on a video game. And I had that realization, and I told my son about it. And he was upset that I said I wasn't going to do it anymore. I'm going to do it again. You know I'm going to do it again. I don't even know why you're saying this. Before (laughs) this is even out on Tuesday, you'll have already done it again. (laughs) You're going to be eating those words so much. I love this. Oh, and this is one of my other favorites. Kate said, not me, but one of my daycare kids bought $100 worth of meat on Groupon on his mom's phone. (laughs) Well, that's at least useful. I love it. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, Nikki said, when my kid once bought a bike rack when he was three, it was a one-click Amazon purchase. I didn't know until it showed up at my door. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) There's one other really good one that I love. Oh, I'm going to end it with Laura from The Fall Line. This is probably one of my favorite stories I've ever heard. And it started with, y'all remember when my five-year-old cash-apped a stranger $999? (laughs) 
which I did not remember. She said, it was a perfect storm of terrible things. My phone didn't lock and she just donated money to like a fundraising effort. He thought it was a calculator, clicked 999, sent money to a stranger who came back and like sent it back to them. But isn't that, oh my gosh, it's too easy. Oh my gosh. It's too easy for kids to do it. It's so funny. I know. I love Laura. I love that story. That's so funny. I just feel like these things happen to all of us. So if things like this have happened to you, you are not alone. Everybody's kids buy random stuff on the internet. Some try to be philanthropists and send $999 to a stranger. I just love that because of all the numbers, just all nines. Just I'm going to get as much as I can do. It's amazing. (laughs) So that is our episode for this week. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We will see you in two weeks. And that's it, right? We'll see you in two weeks. I like how you ended it. Yes, we'll see you in two weeks. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.